0: Have you thought this through? No way will
1: that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll right. never make any money doing that. How are you going to get the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. were your parents want too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. Congratulations. That really turned out well. I'm really excited. I'm really ready. I'm ready. You know, I wish. I never How did you do that? i so glad you're I wish I had the courage to Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting on WLCB 101.5 FM, based in the Greater Chicago-Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, or you're thinking about it, this show's for you. So listen up. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur and I have bombed spectacularly, quite frankly, at many of my entrepreneurial ventures. But I've also helped other entrepreneurs, both as a business consultant and as a SCORE mentor over the years. And so I've counseled lots of startups and not only have I made lots of mistakes, I have seen uh, lots of uh, other mistakes and my goal on the show is twofold first to help other entrepreneurs not make some of those same mistakes so it's to inform and provide resources but it's also to inspire because there are so many amazing entrepreneurs out there who are willing to share their stories and with me this week is one of those her name is Stacy Kohler she's the CEO and founder of something called the Kitty Crawler. It's a local Chicago area business. And she's here with me today to share the story of how she started and has grown that business. She says she's the revivalist of the Crawligator. And we're gonna hear more about just what that is after 50 years of extinction. And she started the business as a new grandmother. Now, she's not. this isn't her first go around as an entrepreneur. She, yeah, invented something called the Sandbagger, which was featured on the cover of government product news and written about but her um, and written about in entrepreneur and crane Chicago business, among other things. Her latest business venture, the crawligator for babies, has been featured in inventor's Digest and seen on ABC's World News Tonight with David Muir's Made in America. She currently lives in Lakemore, Illinois. Not too far from me, Stacey. Thanks so much for being on the show this week. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur.
0: Well, thank you, Doris. I am honored to be here with you today.
1: I'm honored to have you, Stacey. Talk a little bit about your business. What is Kitty Crawler and the Crawligator? What's that all about? Well, the Kitty Crawler
0: is a women-owned early-stage startup. Uh, The Kitty Crawler offers an innovative way to make tummy time fun while promoting natural crawling movements. And we design and manufacture a high-quality developmental toy for infants that provides mobility.
1: Interesting. Well, so what made you want to start this business? I know you had a business called the Sandbanger in the past, but that's a long way from... Uh, That's a long way from an infant developmental product, right?
0: Yeah, that's a wide range from military to babies. So uh, the Crawligator was a toy that I remembered as a child growing up in the 60s. And it belonged to my niece. And, you know, it was... I really never saw her play with this thing. It was just one of those things on the kitchen floor that you're always kicking out of the way, but for some strange reason, this funny little yellow toy stuck in the back of my head all these years. I can't remember any other toy, but for some reason, the crawligator never left my mind. And when I became a grandma five years ago, I, noticed my granddaughter was getting this flat head and I I knew what it was from but um you know it just made me think about the crawligator so now today we have what's known as plagiocephaly also known as flat head syndrome from babies spending too much time on their back so I started to look for the crawligator and nobody knew what I was talking about I, I could find used ones you know, on eBay for one hundred and fifty dollars. Wow! I wondered where is the crawligator? Where can I buy one today?
1: Stacy, let me interrupt you. Um, I, maybe you can describe the crawligator to people. Unfortunately, with audio, I you know, I saw one of the video segments, and that was so helpful um, because it it. I kind of went, oh, that's what they're talking about. Describe what the Crawligator is and how it works. So I would describe the Crawligator
0: as like a skateboard for a baby. Then the baby lays on this skateboard on their tummy and it's on wheels. But the Crawligator has a contoured surface so it allows the child to rest comfortably like cradled on the Crawligator. And it allows them to move their arms
1: and legs in a crawling motion, right? So kids can kind of propel themselves around on it. It holds them securely in place, but they can they can then kind of uh, pull themselves around, which I'm assuming helps with mobility and helps build strength and, and things like that, right?
0: Yes, it provides uh, the ability to have independence and mobility, where children before didn't have that. Um, they're now able to interact with their siblings. Um, yeah, it develops gross motor skills. And there's so much I didn't realize, I didn't you know, understand how important crawling is to children. So when I started to do my research, I became aware of studies showing that there are the importance of crawling and that there are increased developmental delays now. Uh, and crawling is very important to children in cognitive development.
1: Interesting. Well, all right. So you you remembered this toy from your childhood and found one, you know, vintage one on eBay or something. Um, so how did you start connecting the dots about whatever happened to this toy and how you went about trying to revive it. Yeah. So it was, you know,
0: three years of research and development and a lot of my time was just spent on researching, digging into patents. I I researched the original Crawligator through the patent office and I found the design patent and I actually called the original inventor who is still alive in California today because I thought maybe he's got some crawligators in a storage unit somewhere maybe I can buy one of these and then I wonder
1: what happened to it where did it go well what did happen to it why was such a if it was such a a cool thing what happened to it why why did it fall into the the uh the, the bin of neglect, I guess.
0: It's kind of sounds like the movie Toy Story, um, <laughs> exactly. exactly like that, right? Exactly cast off to the the waste pile. All right, so uh, the Crawligator, the inventor of the Crawligator, had a license agreement with what uh, Creative Playthings. And Creative Playthings was the company that came out with the wooden blocks that had the letters on one side and maybe a puzzle picture on the other. And they were based out in New York. Well, Creative Playthings then got bought out by CBS Toys, which was a branch of CBS Broadcasting. Well, CBS Broadcasting was not really into manufacturing or the toy business and the product got shelved and this was before there were safety standards and i'm sure that there was a few accidents with this product because you could tell by the original design that there was a lot of risk of you know running over your hands and i think parents might have not been paying attention and kids fell down the stairs on this yeah so the product got shelved and that was the end of the story of the Crawligator, as we know from the original day. So what I discovered was the patent had run its course, it had expired, and the trademark Crawligator was abandoned. And I thought wow. to myself, as I wanted to revive an old brand, I thought keeping the original name was important to me. And that has proven to be true because I have heard from so many grandparents who remember the original crawligator from when their kids were little. And now they're buying the new crawligator for their grandchildren.
1: Hmm, Interesting. Well, on the face of it, you'd think, well, all right. So there are, I guess what you would say, sort of a rough prototype out there. I mean, you could find and buy an example of one and the patent that expired and the trademark was abandoned. So I guess on the surface, naively, you might say, "Wow, well, that's, that's easy to get started. Right. But I'm pretty sure that's not quite the case. Talk a little bit about some of the early roadblocks.
0: Yeah. So laboratory testing was something that I became aware of that now is mandatory all infant products toys need laboratory testing and when the original crawligator came out there was no safety standards so i turned to i had to create my roadmap map in an uncharted territory so i found an association called the juvenile product manufacturers association and this is the association that um, most of the manufacturers make car seats, strollers, um, and I, I researched this organization and I, I joined as a new startup member because this organization offered benefits to help companies develop their products. They also offer safety testing. Huh. So I took advantage of every offer they had for new businesses that joined as a new business they offered like uh, attorneys, um, safety experts, marketing. Uh, they have an annual trade show where they launch new products. So I was able to get a quote from, a, from a, like a product development company that would take your idea, get you prototyping, get you laboratory testing. And I used that proposal as a roadmap of what i needed to do what this product had to uh, achieve to be able to be eligible for marketing mm. so that was laboratory testing so i realized who who what laboratories test juvenile products and intertech laboratory in arlington heights was one of these third party testing laboratories for
1: juvenile products wow so- that that's convenient that's a hop skip Uh, It's one of the great things about being in a big metropolitan area, I guess, like Chicago, is that some of those resources are not too far away.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, when when you are a startup and you don't have money, you have to be resourceful and you have to figure out a way to get there. So, you know, the proposal that I received from this company was $65,000. Wow. Wow. So I look at it as though I've saved myself $65,000 and I've learned how to do it. I've learned how to get there myself, right? I can't do this myself, but I know how to get there now. I know what I have to go through to bring this product to market. So, you know, laboratory testing was a challenge and it wasn't, and it was just, I wasn't going to give up. Um, They were going to test and I had a prototype now. I had a prototype and I would take it to the laboratory and they would test it to, the infant walker standard, and I would say, but don't do that because it's it's not going to pass. It's not an infant walker, mm-hmm. okay? They would they would test it. My my prototype would break, and I'd have to take it back to the factory, and they would glue it back together for me, and then I w- I would come back to the laboratory, and I'd say, now we're going to test it again, and they they said, well, let's test it to the ride-on toy standard, and I said but this isn't a really a right on toy, but they would test it and it would break and I would take it back to the factory and they would put it back together again. So now through this process, the laboratory has determined that this should, this should test to another standard because there was no standard for a crawligator, right? It's not There, there is no other crawligator on the market to test it too. So we're going to test this to the Consumer Product Safety Commission's children's product safety standard and i was pretty sure that we were going to pass this test. and so in in addition to going through the testing i also did an uh, design review with the intertech laboratory and this is something that cost extra in addition to your laboratory testing but this just gave me the validation that you know they're they're going to make recommendations that i needed to implement a braking mechanism, you know, and so I did that and and I went through several stages of prototyping as well just because I couldn't afford to make a sixty-five thousand dollar mistake on my tooling.
1: Wow. So we implemented
0: yeah. a braking mechanism, which is like a gripping pad. And again, this was something that I learned through my research of the infant walker standard. I mean, I had an infant walker in front of me and there was this little piece on it, but I couldn't find the language in a patent anywhere. So I'm like, what is this and what is it called? And again, through my research, I mean, I researched it seriously.
1: I spent every day researching. Well, well, you're you're just, I think, giving examples of how Um, sometimes things that seem quite simple when it comes down to things like standards and regulatory requirements are are steps that can be um, costly to admit uh, that you have to go through them and they can certainly take a lot more time and cost more than you ever imagined when you start out with. I think that's that's probably true of uh, a lot of different products that entrepreneurs want or are hoping to bring to market. How did you decide, you know, where to manufacture this? And what was that process like? So I had
0: my my old vintage Carligator. I got it off of eBay and I started to look for factories. Close ones that I could go to to sit down and say, this is what I have, and this is what I want to do with it. And, you know, there was, I sourced probably one in China and a couple in Wisconsin. And then I found a close little shop right in Palatine. um, Very small shop that was willing to work with me because I had no idea what a CAD file was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've <could> this- <laughs> never been really in manufacturing. I had not- I didn't know what custom injection molding was, or so I took yeah. my little original crawligator and they were willing to work with me. And th- you know, thank God for them because I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, um,
1: I-, I don't know much either, except that I know that molds for um, in- injection molding can often be uh, fairly expensive. So. Um, yes,
0: it was a, a $65,000 investment just to do the tooling and the, the mold for the crawligator. And that's not including the wheels.
1: So and how, I, so and how I, did you go about finding all the resources? I mean, so you've talked about the manufacturing process. You haven't talked about, um, you know, any kind of regulatory kinds of requirements or licenses you need to have or um other standards that you need to meet and then obviously there's all sorts of things like marketing and selling and and so how did you how did you marshal the whole all the bits and pieces that you needed
0: yeah, I think it's just one step at one step at a time, um, one foot in front of the other. And you know, like you said earlier, the time requirement to to get this is twice as long as you ever thought it was going to be. Had I known it was going to be three years of research and development and prototyping and laboratory testing just to get it to my proof of concept event, right? Wow. And then even after that, it's another two years to even you know, start to get create awareness. I mean, I'm not competing against an already existing crawligator. So I have to create awareness and let people know what's out there. And that takes time. So
1: yeah. um, Did you, did you ever lose hope? I mean, here you, you were a new grandmother and you were thinking this would be great for your grandchild, but um, you know, you didn't expect that she would be uh, headed for high school before (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I right. will be driving by the time I get it tomorrow. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm joking, of course, but, you know, wow.
0: Yeah, I didn't, I had no idea. Had I known that this was really going to be five years out in front of me, right? That's longer than a college education. Right. Um, but you just have to stay focused and determined and know that you will get there right? And, and learning to be patient has been, I think, my biggest obstacle, because I just thought this was going to happen in 18 months, and it doesn't work that way. Um,
1: yeah, the sales and marketing side of things. So once, after going through the whole prototyping and and um, creating the mold and finding a manufacturer, now, now you finally got a product, but uh, that's, you know, that's only part of the battle. You've got to find ways to sell it so talk about that that piece of the journey so
0: my first opportunity to show this product was to the juvenile or to the um academy of pediatric physical therapists annual conference and um i really you know this i went to this trade show it was more like an educational kind of a continuing education conference than it was a consumer-based trade show but it, I just went to this because it was the first opportunity, right? Um, and it was like a month after, and I scraped every dollar I had to buy the booth, right? Loaded up the car and drove there, and it sold out like that. And
1: Unbelievable.
0: That, That's it, what You, mean. I you wish knew I, you had something then, right? Yeah, that was my proof of concept event that gave me the affirmation that this was more than just a toy I wasn't even thinking about pediatric physical therapists as a market but they and and again these are young girls are still finishing their education but that just gave me the validation that there is a real need for this so my next and this was like November of 2018 so the next opportunity I had trade show wise was uh, and again, I didn't have a lot of money for marketing, so I'm looking for trade shows. I'm looking because that's all I knew from my previous experience with the with the sandbagger was I would was that trade shows, two trade shows a year. I mean, two trade shows a month. So I went to this next show available was called the Juvenile Product Manufacturers Association's Annual Trade Show in Orlando. And I thought, well, this is a great place to launch a new product. And I entered this new product category award and it won the innovation award. And now I have people coming to my booth saying, you know, what is your export price list? Um, Do you need a manufacturer's rep? Oh, my. And I wasn't prepared for that. Um, Wow. What's an export price list? You know, and yes, I need a manufacturer's rep. So, it just kind of took off from there. I, you know, it it got a lot of, a created a lot of awareness now to other juvenile product manufacturers looking at new products.
1: Um, Also, so what's your sales strategy these days? I mean, you, you probably have a number of different options or did have a number of different options with manufacturers, reps, you could find a distributor, you could hire a bunch of salespeople, uh, I don't know, that you could do e-commerce, I guess. Um, So how did you sort through that process?
0: Uh, By trial and error. Um, And and I learned, you know, at first you thought, yes, I would love to have a manufacturer's rep or a distributor. But um, selling to them at a significant discount um, eats away at your your margins very quickly. And, yeah. you know, I, I learned that, you know, selling direct to consumer is the best way to go. And again, creating um, awareness on, you know, selling on your website is, is, was my goal to, you know, I had to turn this ship around from selling through distributors and wholesalers at a 40% discount to bringing that revenue stream back to my website, and go direct to consumer. So, uh that's what I've been focusing on is direct-to-consumer building, uh, collaborative relationships with um, experts in their field, um, pediatric physical therapists, and, you know, just your regular digital e-commerce um, marketing, Google ads, Selling on Amazon, you know, we all know Amazon's a necessary evil.
1: (laughs) It's hard making money because they make it very difficult. Um, Thinking about doing a whole segment on on selling on Amazon just because, um, as you say, it's for a lot of businesses. It's a necessary evil. I'd love to contribute on that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's sold. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a challenge to, to then, I mean, yeah, you, you get all the revenue, but then you have more of the expenses of the marketing and the customer service and things like that. Are most of your buyers like pediatricians and, and pediatric therapists, or are they just a consumer, you know, concerned grandma or, or new mom who thinks it's a neat idea and has heard about it? I would say, you know, 80%
0: of my sales are coming through moms and 20% are through the pediatric physical therapists. And a lot of, um, you know, the direct to consumer sales, I would say grandparents, I mean, grandparents uh, remember the original one. And they also, mm-hmm. I think, recognize the importance of crawling. Whereas a new mom might look at what we call these containers, like infant walkers and bouncy seats and swing. are uh-huh. just things that, that are more for convenience, right? But crawling is so important. And people are worried if their kids aren't going to crawl, they're not meeting their gross motor milestones. So uh, grandparents
1: are a very big. Purchaser of the yeah, car you know, I could see that it's a great, it's a great different kind of gift to give someone who's uh, who has uh, an infant, right? Because they they the kids today have so many toys, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult to buy a gift that's unique and interesting. Uh, but this one, you know, I could I could see why it's appealing. How has your business grown? Since it started, um, so we've
0: just really launched over 28 months ago, and we just sold to our 12th country last week. So we have like over 4,000 early adopters who are using the crawligator and uh, just you know, two days ago I heard from a gentleman who lives in Australia, ordered a crawligator and he was willing to pay $85 in shipping. And that was the best rate available to ship to Australia for a crawligator. So, you know, until I'm selling to Australia through Amazon. And again, to do that, you have to have product testing, safety safety testing in those countries. So I have to, you know, go through this, a third-party testing laboratory to meet whatever requirements are in the uh, Australia marketplace.
1: Wow, that's that's a tough. Um, that requires some tough strategic decision making because you. It sounds nice to just say, "Oh, you know, somebody in Australia wants one. I'll just stick it in and, and slap a FedEx label on it," but. It's it's a lot more strategic than that. I'm gathering, which is you have to really look at: is Australia a place where you think you're going to be able to sell more and recoup some of those initial investments?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So as part of our, um, you know, global, our global marketing is to find wholesalers or distributors in these countries. Right, but that takes time. So that's like, you know, 12 months from now, hopefully we'll have a distributor in Europe and Australia and Canada. And so we can make it more affordable for people to buy this and not have to pay those heavy shipping costs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, the timing is difficult because shipping costs have gone up everywhere because of COVID, you know, um, and the supply chain has just been. I want I want to say decimated, but it's been pretty battered and bruised in a lot of places. Have, have you suffered from that too? Oh, yes.
0: It's, it was really bad last year. It seems like it's getting a little bit better, but um, just... You know, shipping last year internationally was taking almost up to three months for a person in the Netherlands to get their crawligator. And so we've looked at other shipping options and, you know, comparing UPS to FedEx to the post office. I'm um, like you said. By the time this crawligator arrives, the kid will be driving. So that's why it's so important to find a distributor in these countries. And it's it's the it's the cost of expansion. You know, it's your
1: growing pains. Talk about some of the personal challenges because I know for you, first of all, um, you were a new grandmother, and uh, you know, so it resonated with me. Uh, there's a lot of us who have a few gray hairs, a little long in the teeth, as they used to say, and yet we're still thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I I don't know if you ever felt like age ever held you back, and second, I know you you went through uh, a tough personal time too, and so I'm I'm thinking that um, people would probably love to hear about some of those sides of, the, of your journey as well. Yeah, so I think
0: starting a new venture later in life, actually kind of kept me young. I'm having to learn new things. I mean, when I came out of high school, we didn't even have computers. And so <laughs> me you know, it, it, it is a little tough, and it is a little challenging. And I'm kind of behind the ball when it comes to Facebook and social media, right. But um, This has kept me younger. I mean, I think what would I have rather just retired or would I rather stay active and learn new things? And I always look as this, the challenge is an opportunity to embrace something new. Right, so, um, and, you know, trying to do this on your own later in life without having the support of a spouse is very challenging too. But it just gives me again. It fuels my desire to want to reach my goal here. It kind of just inspires me to work
1: that much harder. Well, oh, you know, it, if you're willing, um, I think it would be interesting to share a little of your your personal circumstance. I mean, you were involved in inventing the sandbagger, and it was. But what I could tell doing some research, pretty wildly successful. So uh, that should have set you up for life, right?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the, the sandbagger was easy back then because I did have the support of a husband. And I had the support of a secretarial support as well, where I was able to just get out there and sell and be on the road and go to every. National Guard's annual conference to become a legislative priority. So, and now, you know, I was married 35 years and, you know, on our 35th wedding anniversary, got divorced. <laughs> and so now, um, you know, having that, what people might consider as a struggle, I looked at that as um, something that actually gave me more motivation to want to work harder and stay focused and um, just keep me on track. And, you know, it gave me something to focus on. It gave me something. the calligator gave me something to stay focused on. Um, and if you wanna consider it as a distraction from what was really going on, um, then it was a great thing for me to just continue to push forward.
1: You know, I, I love your story because I think there's an awful lot of folks who are older, who would like to still be contributors. And um, let's face it, it is difficult for people in their 50s and 60s to find meaningful work in companies. There is age discrimination. And, um, you know, I also think there's a lot of folks who who are older and have some experience that would like to maybe follow their dream. Right. So uh, a lot of people have thought about a business and you reach a point in your life, maybe your fifties, your sixties, where you say, if not now, when, you know, Um, and similarly, I I think there's got to be a lot of women out there who are, you know, struggling financially and um, are, are picking up the pieces of uh, of whatever uh, bad things have happened in 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 their life. and um, I, you know I just I think your story is just so inspiring. And so I hope I hope it's resonating with with some of our uh, some of my listeners out there.
0: Well, thank you, Doris. And you know um, to your comment about struggling financially, you know, I always told myself, that's you know not having money should not be an excuse for not doing this because to me i look at that as an advantage and let me tell you why because when you don't have money you can't make a mistake you know when you don't have money you have to think outside the box and say how can i get this done without money i mean i worked on this project for three years and every day i tell i started my day by saying what can I do to move this project forward that doesn't cost money? Because I didn't have money, but I continued to stay focused. A lot of the times it was just research, right? Look what I discovered today. Look what I discovered how important crawling is. Look what I discovered today. I found this great
1: association who offers these wonderful benefits. Well, you've given a couple of examples of how you were creative about it. I'm sure there are others uh, share share a story or two of just how you um, y- you maybe took a less traditional path or found a way to do something that just didn't cost as much or maybe even was free.
0: Oh, you're gonna love this one. <laughs> so and. So it's the, it's, you know, the Friday before Christmas in 2019, and I've been struggling to grow this crawligator and I'm kind of a little bummed out because maybe my Amazon sales weren't what I was hoping they would be. And my idea was, you know, I, I didn't have money for Facebook advertising. So I thought, well, hell, I'll go over to Bass Pro and I'll stand in line and I'll have Santa hold the crawligator and I'll take a picture and I'll post that on Facebook. Well, I get to, I Bass. It. it gets better. I get to Bass Pro and of course, Santa's out to lunch. So I put, my <laughs> name, I put my name on the list and I wait 20 minutes and Santa comes back from lunch and I get up there and I, you know, have Santa hold the crawligator and I take my picture and I'm, you know, mission accomplished. And then I'm headed out to my car in the parking lot and my phone rings with a 201 area code. And I'm, I always answer my phone. I take every call. And I said, hello. And they said, which I should have said, hello, Gator, but I just said, hello. And they said, you know, this is so-and-so from ABC World News Tonight. And we just got your story from one of our viewers and we would like to put you on tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, did he just say tonight? Like, it's it's already one o'clock in the afternoon which means it's two o'clock in new york and you know world news tonight with david muir i love watching that made in america segment when the whole company gets together and they hold up the little flag and yay so i'm like oh my gosh i'm just like i everybody I was so excited, I couldn't even like think straight. And I'm driving down the road and everybody I call on the phone, nobody's answering their phone. And he's telling me what he would like me to do. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm driving down the road. Could you just shoot this to me in an email? And we want you to send us your B roll. And we want you to make a video at the factory showing them making the product. And well, I get to the factory, it's again, Friday before Christmas, everybody's gone home. They've all left. It's two o'clock, they've gone home. I couldn't fake it if I wanted to. There's nobody there, right? And the factory is in disarray because they're moving machinery around and it's just like a mess there. So now people are coming back from lunch and I'm all excited. I'm like, I'm walking in circles because I just can't even think straight because I'm just so excited. I have no idea what a B-roll is, right? I don't even have Dropbox on my phone. And the guys at the factory are looking at me like, oh, go away. And I'm like, well, I just wanted to choke them. I'm like, don't you understand? This is world news tonight with David Muir. And I'm like, this has got to happen. I mean, so I just had to calm myself down and take a deep breath and just say, you know, you're going to make this happen. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. This is a Christmas miracle. And whatever it takes, I'm going to make this happen. Right. And the minutes seemed like hours. And so I'm like waiting for this Dropbox to download on my phone. And I'm trying to just gather any video that I have shot on my phone or my iPad that I can send to this producer. And um, one of my mentors is saying, well, geez, Stace, can't you ask them to give you till Monday? And they said, no, this is the last day that we run this segment. This is the last episode of the, it was all about that one Christmas gift made in America Ah. this year. And so the I mean, the and even up until 15 minutes before they went live, the producer is still asking me questions like, what's the name of the little boy in the video? Or did I know him? And I'm like, no, but his name is Paul. And it when it went live, my phone blew up because I have my phone synced with my Web site. is like Miracle on 34th
1: Street. You oh, my God.
0: We out of this. It was, as I swear, you could make a movie out of my whole story. (laughs) So then my phone is blowing up constantly from that little 30 second airing. I got 400 orders and I would say the majority of them came from grandparents. And it was me in the fact and and people didn't expect to get their order by Christmas. Right. But it was me in the factory because nobody else was there. It was just and I was, you know. I would be up till 2 or 3 in the morning printing off uh, packing slips and shipping labels because I didn't even have a label printer. I mean, I didn't have the forethought to think what was going to happen when this happened. It just happened so fast that I didn't have time to plan. I was just in reactive mode trying to get, you know, I would be up at the factory at 5 o'clock taping labels, and packing slips to these boxes to get them. And then I had oh, to hire my. a friend with a pickup truck to get them to the post office because I didn't have enough time to plan a scheduled
1: pickup by the post 400 office. 400 orders. Oh my again, goodness. It's
0: like, again, it's, it's um, Saturday and Sunday, right? So we're just wow. trying to get the orders out, but that was a great story. That was a wonderful experience.
1: Yeah. You do what you need to do.
0: Yeah. Well, so.
1: well, what would you say has been the hardest thing? About starting up this business, learning to be
0: patient, learning to be patient, and to you know be able to ride those emotional highs and lows of entrepreneurship because it can be a lonely journey. And they always say that, but you don't really realize it until you are in it, and Mm -hmm. you're like, well, heck, if I had known it was going to take me this long, or if I had known it was going to take. you know, three times as much money as I thought it was going to take. Like, I just thought this was going to happen all by itself. I thought I could do this on $2,500 and it was just going to take off. Well, it doesn't work that way. There's a lot to it. I mean, in the old days, we used to do direct mail marketing and go to trade shows. Well, now with COVID, there are no trade shows and direct mail marketing is long over and
1: it's all about social media. Right, right. The very different world. And then, so the flip side of that, what's been the best part? Mm, I would say the the emotional highs and lows
0: <laughs> The best part is you know what? I get a real rewarding feeling when I see that the crawligator has made a difference in some kids' lives. There are a lot of kids with developmental delays and special needs where they never had mobility before the crawligator
1: so do you so get when, do you get um do you ever get notes or video or anything from customers who tell you? Yeah, I do get notes from customers.
0: Um, and they're very protective of their video. So they're not always willing to share. Yeah, it. and it's
1: all a privacy concern. Yeah. And and kids and,
0: but yeah. I do always hear notes from kids and it's like, you know, there's kids with cerebral palsy and, and what, what devices they're using now look very uncomfortable, right? They almost are hard to watch. And then you see the child lay on the crawligator and they're smiling, right? They're, they now have mobility for the first time where they're inter- interacting with their siblings. They're, it supports independence that they didn't have this before. And I wonder, like I talked to the pediatric physical therapist and I say, why do we have these conditions today that we didn't have? 30, 40 years ago, you know, now we have kids with low tone. Well, how did this happen? I mean, is this just a, and they will grow out of it, you know, but it's just a developmental delay They're, you know, um, low tone means they have low muscle tone. And when you watch these kids, um, they're kind of just don't have the muscle strength to even crawl or they just sit there like, um, and so now the crawligator will help them support, independence, help build strength, help them learn to, you know, I, I heard from one pediatric physical therapist the other day, she goes, I don't use the crawligator for crawling. I go, well, what are you doing with it? Then she goes, is, and this is what I'm learning. I'm learning from the feedback that I get from these pediatric experts. They're telling me the crawligator teaches the child to, you know, um, support their head. It's, it's they're learning to build muscles in their neck muscles and their core muscles So it's more about just, um, you know, learning to turn their head from left to right. And these are like this child had what's known as low tone. And I think this is a genetic disorder. But I thought it very interesting that she wasn't even using it for crawling.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, where do you find inspiration when you hit the inevitable roadblocks?
0: Oh, I I think it's the, you know, the value that the crawligator brings to children gives me the validation that this, you know, this gives me a a sense of purpose that I know that this really makes a difference in kids' lives. And when you look around, um, whatever, what everybody else is going through, my challenges or struggles are nothing compared to them. So, Um, That's really kind of what keeps me motivated and inspired to push forward, even when times are tough and I feel like, you know, it's a lonely road, but um, just learning to get through these challenges and overcome these struggles will just make me stronger coming out the other side. I mean, I I look at this as I learned something from this.
1: What's next for your business, Stacey? Where do you see it growing? What will it look like three years from now if you're successful? Uh, Three years from now,
0: we'll be selling around the world. We'll have distributors set up in, you know, five, six, seven countries, and hopefully I'll be able to exit and retire comfortably.
1: Yeah, so, you know, that's an interesting thing. Um, you ask people, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs about their exit plan, and some people don't want to think about exits because they are so enjoying the process of growing it. Um, but, you know, the reality for people of our age group, Stacey, is that that's something you have to think about. I, I would argue, frankly, even the the twenty five year old building a business in his or her garage needs to think about an exit because I would say you you can't you know you need to begin with the end in mind. You don't know if you don't know where the bus is going, you may not be making strategic decisions along the way about getting your bus where it wants to go. So what 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 would an exit look like for you, do you think?
0: Yeah, I thought about that. Um, and I, I think it's gonna be a very easy exit. I like the way you use the bus as an analogy because if you don't, you might miss your exit, right? Um so mine <laughs> is Yeah. And I thought I, I used that one the other day. I'm like, oh, I think I found a comfortable spot to park my bus. Um so My exit strategy is to build this to a multi-million dollar company and, and sell it as a product line buyout to one of the top 12 juvenile product manufacturers or toy companies.
1: Yeah. I could see that too. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Stacy, given what you've accomplished in your life and with developing the Crawligator, I have no doubt you'll make that happen. Looking back on your journey though, What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who are just starting out, especially women entrepreneurs?
0: Oh, yes, I would say find find a couple of good mentors. Right. And I have I do credit my mentors because and I'm still working with my mentors going on four years now. And I always wonder why do they continue to support me? Right. And I think it's because they appreciate my enthusiasm and my effort, right? If I wasn't giving it 100%, they wouldn't want to volunteer their time to me. But it's always good to have support your, you know, surround yourself with great support network. And so I've been able to find great mentors at SCORE. We'll give SCORE a little plug there. Yeah. Um, And even, you know, now reaching other outside my network, just, you know, I'm learning to have to, Um, us, network with other female entrepreneurs, right? We need, as females, we need to support each other. And there are, and I think we do this much better than men when it comes to um, networking and supporting other female founders. We're much more generous to share where men just find it to be, everything's a competition with them.
1: Well, it's certainly important for women to network. I just saw I'm always reading stuff, but uh, I just saw a study that said that the amount of venture capital that goes to women-owned businesses has actually dropped in the past year from something like 2.9% to 2.3%. I mean, okay, so that doesn't sound like a big drop, but, you know, less than 3% of venture capital, that's... That's appalling in today's environment. I, I I'm just not even sure how how that happens.
0: I thought the same thing. It's like if i wasn't if I was a man, I would have a whole different um, attitude toward this. But um I think there's a female founders like to support and network with other female founders, and they're more willing to share and support each other, mentor each other. Maybe that's just our nurturing character as women and
1: mothers. Maybe so. I'd like to think that too. Stacey, one last question for you. So people are interested in the crawligator or maybe they want to tap into your story or maybe they just uh, are a fellow female entrepreneur, just looking for advice and bounce ideas off of what's the best way to reach you or to get a hold of your product.
0: Sure. I'd love to um, offer advice or any kind of um, information or insight to other female founders. can always reach me through info at or Instagram. And your
1: website, people can buy the product on your website, right?
0: Yes. Please buy the product on the website and not Amazon. <laughs> and and so the website for folks who are looking for that is www.crawligator.com. and that's spelled c r a
1: w l i g a t o r. Well, fantastic. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the show this week. It was really a delight having you. Your story is so inspiring and um i hope lots of folks found it found it inspiring and um you know inspirational so thanks again for being on the show
0: oh thank you doris the pleasure was all mine
1: so that's our show for this week folks thank you so much for listening and thank you again to my guest this week stacy kohler the ceo and founder of the kitty crawler and the inventor of the crawligator for infants. Now, you can find more helpful information and resources on my website at globalocityservices.com. There's a library there of free blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources. I don't, I'd love to hear from you. My door is always open for comments, questions, suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. Email me at dnagle at lakesradio.org. I promise you'll always get an answer back. Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneur.